Hello everybody and welcome back. It's the BMW Blog Podcast, episode 17. Um, last week we had a really good one with Jackie Jurey on and she talked a lot about her books and you know the Elvis 507. That was really cool. So we had some good stuff and we're hoping to get some more guests on soon. But today uh, I'm rocking it solo. So uh, yeah, I hope you like listening to my voice because it's all you're going to get today. However, I think we have a good one for you because we have some really interesting topics. Some breaking news, in fact. Um, so just recently, the leak of the BMW 4 Series grill. Uh, that was an interesting one. So someone on Instagram was able to leak a photo of the actual 4 Series, the new one, um, without any camouflage or without any covering, just pretty much the entire exposed uh, front end of the car. And that was able to show off its entire uh, new grill design. So we're going to talk a little bit about that, but also we're going to talk about the uh, the E65 generation BMW 7 Series. Uh, we did a bit of a buyer's guide on it earlier in the week, and uh, we're going to talk about that because it's a pretty controversial car, and it got quite a lot of interesting comments, uh, more diverse comments than I expected, to be honest. Um, so we're going to talk about that, and because of talking about the E65, I want to jump into what I think is the best 7 Series, and I think most of you enthusiasts will agree with me, and that's the E38 generation. So those are going to be our topics for today, and I believe they're going to take up the entire time because at least the 4 Series is going to be quite a lot to dig into. So let's get started. Yesterday, um, we got a leak for the BMW 4 Series and we saw its whole grill, and honestly, we saw it like a day before we posted the pictures uh, on the site because we really wanted to just kind of hold off a little bit. Uh, we didn't really want to get anyone in trouble, uh, you know, whoever took the pictures or whatever. And, um, you know, we were kind of unsure of whether or not we should post it because we, you still can't see all of it. There's some, like, tape around the grill surround and stuff like that. And it's such a controversial new design we knew that it was just going to open up a can of worms, so we kind of were hesitant to to really post it right away. But once we finally did, we had a good write up. I think it was pretty fair about the new design. Um, it's it's sparking quite a lot of I don't want to say outrage. That might that's that might be a little bit too far, but it's certainly causing some controversy uh, among BMW enthusiasts and car enthusiasts in general. You know, just people who are fan of cars. Uh, you know, across the entire industry people seem to be really unhappy with bmw's new grill design direction and it's understandable why people are kind of shocked at it because it's a very very controversial design firstly it's a huge break from what bmw has been doing forever um yes there are some grills from bmw's past that are also massive and we'll get into that in a little bit but for the most part you know the the most of BMW's grills are pretty sensibly sized. There's nothing really outrageous up until the past couple of years with the 7 Series facelift and then the X7 and stuff like that. We've seen this change too. I mean, some of the grills were getting really big, like the 5 Series and stuff like that. But once the 7 Series facelift came out, it was just like these two gaping holes right in the front of the car. It was kind of just oddly misproportioned. It just really threw everyone off. And then the X7 and the X7's grills are, I mean, each one is bigger than my whole head. It's, it's ridiculously massive. Um, and now this. But what was interesting is on the 7 Series and the X7, it was almost okay. Like People were like, wow, those grills are enormous, but the cars are also enormous. So that's okay. The 4 Series, though, is supposed to be a relatively small, sporty coupe. 
and you put these gigantic grills. I mean, they're absolutely enormous right on the front, and it kind of takes up the entire front end. You know, they're, they're, each grill is bigger than each headlight by far. So it kind of seems misproportioned. Like on, on either side, the headlight seems dainty compared to the massive size of the grill. So it kind of just has this weird, I don't know, off-putting look. But once you kind of look at it, and you just, like I, I recently wrote that it, I'm, it kind of is growing on me. And, you know, after 24 hours of, you know, seeing it and knowing what it looks like and kind of just thinking about it, it seems to be growing on me a little bit because it's, I don't know, I don't think it's as bad as a lot of people are saying. Yes, it's shocking and yes, it's big. Um, and admittedly, I do wish BMW went with a different design. I don't love it for sure. But I don't think it's all doom and gloom. I don't think it's like the worst looking thing BMW has ever done. Um, to, to be honest, completely honest with you, I think the BMW X6, the whole back end of that car is more egregious than the, the new grill on the 4 Series. So, you know, I, I don't think it's as bad as people are making it out to be. And I think what's interesting is that on the 4 Series, at least, because we saw some leaked photos of the M3, and the grill on that car looked quite a bit different than the uh, the 4 Series we saw. Um, and we'll get more into that in a little bit. But on the 4 Series, at least, it seems to be a little bit better than I had expected, because the grill, firstly, the one, the car we're looking at is most likely an M440i because it's, it, the grill seems to be an M performance grill, which means it has like those, those little silver dashes, little silver dots with like, kind of like a, like a chain link pattern in between. Um, it's, it's a big break from BMW's traditional vertical slats in the grill. And it seems to be what BMW's putting on all M performance cars now. So the M340i, the Z4 M40i, cars like that all have this new grill pattern. And that certainly helps with this massive design because if it just had big vertical slats, which I'm not sure if the standard car, the standard 4 Series is going to, but if it had those big vertical slats, it would just accentuate the, the height of those grills and make them seem even more extreme. So I think that the, the M Performance grill insert actually helps a lot. Um, it helps kind of tame it down a little bit. And then also, the fact that they're joined together in the middle, I know a lot of BMW enthusiasts really hate that BMW has joined the kidney grills in the middle on some of their cars, um, but I actually think it helps here. Um, so they're joined like really close to the center of them, and then at, as they you know get towards the top, they sort of break away from each other, uh, the top and the bottom, excuse me, because they sort of break away from each other and then become two individual kidney grills. But because they sort of merge in the middle, it gives it a more cohesive look. Rather than like two gaping holes, it kind of looks like one big one that kind of spreads out into two. So it just looks a little bit better than I had anticipated, to be honest. And then also BMW seems to have really made the grill. They, they designed the whole front end around the grill, it seems like. It seems like the grill was one of the first things they, they designed. They knew they were going to go with a big grill like this, so they designed the rest of the front end around it. And you like the headlights are angular and they point towards it. The whole front bumper kind of just kind of flows around it. It just looks like it's a pretty cohesive design overall. So while the grills are extreme, they absolutely are. Um, I think it's a little bit better looking than a lot of people are making the whole front end out to be. And I think it's going to work okay with the rest of the car because the rest of the car is very pretty. I mean, at least from what we can see in camouflaged photos. You know, the proportions are, are all there. Like, all the proportions are bang on, actually. The new 4 Series, I think, is going to be a really good-looking car. Um, it's muscular. It has, you know, like, nice rear haunches. It sort of looks like an 8 Series, but shrunk. 
And that's a good thing. I think the, the shorter wheelbase and the shorter overhangs of the 4 Series are going to actually work better on that sort of design than the 8 Series. And I think the 8 Series is a great looking car, but I think the 4 Series is going to be even better looking in my opinion. And a good, um, a good example of that is actually Mercedes. If you look at the S-Class Coupe, it's a really good looking car. It's actually a beautiful car, but then the C-Class Coupe, even though it's much smaller and much cheaper, has a similar design language. I think it looks even better. The C-Class Coupe is a beautiful, beautiful sports coupe. It's a gorgeous car. So I think that the 4 Series is going to benefit from a similar, um, like a similar thing. It's going to, it's a similar design language as the 8 Series. It's very similar, actually, but it's, it's shorter, shorter overhang. So I think it's just going to be a better looking car. And I think it's going to be a really good looking car. So... In total, yes, the grills are going to look funky and a little bit big and dramatic, but I think overall, the whole 4 Series as a package is going to be a really good-looking car, so I think people are going to sort of forget about how kind of crazy these new grills are. And also, like Horacio keeps pointing out, once we get used to it, once everyone gets used to it, I think BMW enthusiasts are probably going to like it. There's probably going to be, you know a lot of enthusiasts who are going to start to really appreciate it and kind of almost miss anything otherwise, you know, like miss smaller grills. I think I think BMW enthusiasts are really going to be excited about it in a year or so once they finally get used to it. But I, I even now, I don't think it's as bad looking as so many enthusiasts are making it out to be. Um, it's just, it really isn't that bad looking. It, it's funky and it's interesting for sure. And it's, it's very dramatic and it, it's shocking because it's so different from what we're used to. Now, I want to talk about that because one thing that a lot of BMW enthusiasts keep pointing out is that BMW did used to make gigantic grills. Now, if you look at cars like the original 328 from the 1930s, that had enormous grills, but they were very, very tall and very, very skinny. I always called it the Nosferatu grill because it looks like uh, Nosferatu's two front teeth. Um, but yeah, the, the 328 had a massive grill just different it was just taller and skinnier than what we're used to now well what we're seeing now in the 4 series so it's not that bmw has never made a car with huge grills it's just it hasn't done so in a really long time you know starting in you know even like 50s and 60s grills got really kind of small i mean look at like the the original 8 series they were tiny little things um you know so so we're not used to these massive grills i mean most of us Actually, probably all of us, all of us BMW enthusiasts, since we've been alive, BMW's been making small-ish grills. Now, it's not, so it's not completely outside of the brand's heritage, because there's a lot of people saying, like, oh, they've lost their way, they don't understand their own heritage anymore, and it's like, yeah, well, they kind of do, because they were making gigantic grills back in the 30s, like, pre-World War II cars had gigantic grills. But, it's just not what we're used to now, and I think that's what's really off-putting, is it's just so different from what we're used to. And it's so different from what BMW has been making for as long as we can remember. But it's also going to be something that we're going to be seeing more of. So I think we will get used to it. And I think, again, we're going to start to appreciate it. I also, I want to talk about the difference, though, between the 4 Series and what the M4 is likely going to look like. Now, when we talked to Marcus Flash last, that was at the LA Auto Show, and we spoke with him about this subject specifically. And one of the things that he mentioned to us was... The BMW M, at least, wants the M cars to look different than the standard road cars. Like, if you say, let's say you just take an F80 M3 versus a 3 Series. Yes, it's a little bit different, especially at the back because it has the wider hips and it's, it, it's better looking for sure. But 
you know, on the road at a glance, it's hard to tell the difference between a M3 and a standard 3 series because overall they're pretty similar looking. So BMW M wants to change that. BMW M wants to make the M3 and the M4 look distinctly different from the standard cars on which they're based. So to do that, they're giving them different grills. Now, we've seen the leak of the M3 already, and it looks similar. The grill is similar to what we've seen on the M4, but it seems to like lack trim, like surrounding grill trim. So it kind of just looks like these two gaping holes were just stamped out, just cut out, like cookie cuttered right out of the front of the uh, right out of the front of the car and that is a bit odd looking it's like these two giant beaver teeth just cut holes right in the right in the front of the car so it's a bit odd looking and honestly compared to what i've seen on the four series leak just now i think the regular four series looks a little bit better i don't know if the m4 is going to look that great now maybe the M4 is going to look more like the 4 Series and the M3 grill leak that we saw is just going to be on its own and they're going to distinguish the M3 from the M4 a little bit, but I doubt that. I, I think the M3 and the M4 are going to have pretty similar grills, if not exactly the same. And, uh, you know, those are going to distinguish them from their regular cars. Now, the M3 is going to be very distinguished from the 3 Series in general because the 3 Series doesn't have the massive grill. It has a pretty normal grill. Now, the 4 Series, I kind of get it, though. I kind of get why the M4 will have a similar grill to the M3 League we saw, because BMW wants to distinguish the M4 from the 4 Series as well. They don't want them to have the same grill. So, you're going to see a big difference, I think, in the M4 and the 4 Series, and honestly, I think the regular 4 Series might look better, which is kind of shocking, because usually it's the M car that looks better. But uh, from what we've seen, I'm honestly more nervous about the M car than the standard cars. I think the standard 4 Series is going to look fine. I think overall it's going to be a good-looking car and just something we're going to have to get used to, whereas I think the M4 is going to be really bold. Um, and speaking of bold, one thing that uh, has been pointed out to me and one thing that I, I wholeheartedly agree with is that if you want to go bold, you don't have to go big. You don't have to go massive. You don't have to be shouting in everyone's face with your grill. You, you don't have to do that to make a bold, sexy design. And I'm going to point to someone who was very critical, or a brand that was very critical of BMW and everyone else, to be fair, not just BMW, Mercedes and Audi and Lexus and you know all those brands. And it's Jaguar. Jaguar kind of recently came out and took a shot at every other brand, mostly the Germans, saying that you don't need massive grills and that what these companies are doing is they're making massive grills so their brands can stand out more in China. Now, in China, the Chinese automotive market is a fascinating market because it's, it's really new. It's probably one of the newest automotive markets in the world because China hasn't had, I mean, it's only in the past few decades that China's really exploded in the automotive world. So brand, you know, brand prestige isn't really that big there because the brands haven't been around as long. So there's not a lot of like real brand loyalty. So what he was saying, one of the designers from Jaguar was saying, was that these brands, the German brands, are trying to sort of force their brand image down the Chinese market's throat because it is the largest uh, premium brand market in the world right now. So they're kind of trying to force their brands down their throat, like, look at me, look at our brand. And, and apparently the Chinese market seems to like bigger grills. So these brands are coming out with these massive grills to kind of show off, but what Jaguar is saying is you don't need to do that. Just because you want to make a sexy design and really distinguish yourself doesn't mean you have to be huge like you don't have to make it gigantic and a good example of that is the new f-type so the new f-type the, the it's actually just a facelift of the f-type it's not a fully new car 
but the new F-Type has a whole new front end, whole new grille design, new headlights. And when I first saw the pre-facelift F-Type, I thought it was the prettiest modern car I'd ever seen. I mean, that, the Aston Martin DB9, cars like that, I mean, it's right up there with some of the most beautiful cars I've ever seen. Then Jaguar went and facelifted it, and at first I was like, I don't know if I like it as much, but now that I'm looking at it, it's a really sexy car. It's really pretty, and I think it's even better looking than the pre-facelift F-Type. And it's got a tiny little grill. I mean, it's not tiny, but it's it's kind of short and wide and like really sleek, and its headlights are really slender and pretty, and it just has this really sexy appearance. It's a beautiful car, and it's a great example of how you don't have to go big to go bold. If you want to make a beautiful car that stands out from everything else, you don't have to go big. And it's a point that I wish BMW and ever, I'm not just picking on BMW, Audi is, you know, guilty of it too with its massive grills, Mercedes is getting there, Lexus is even worse, Lexus is making, uh, Toyota too, making grills that are bigger than the whole front end of the car. It's like the whole front end is just grill with headlights strapped to it, it's crazy. So I wish these brands would take note and yeah, maybe they shouldn't take advice, business advice from Jaguar because they're not the most financially responsible company in the world. However, design-wise, I think I wish a lot of companies would follow Jag's lead because Jag is making some gorgeous cars. I mean, the new F-Type is just absolutely beautiful. And if you saw an F-Type on the road next to a high-end 4 Series or M4, you're going to look at the F-Type first because it's prettier. It might not be as brash, it might not be as in-your-face, but it's the better-looking car. And that's not really a knock at the 4 Series, because I think it's going to be a very good-looking car, but it's not an F-Type. An F-Type is just sex on wheels. It's a supermodel with wheels. It's gorgeous. So, like, I, I don't think you have to go gigantic to make a great-looking car that stands out from the crowd. I think Jag has a good point when they say that you don't have to go big to go bold. I think it's a really important point that we should all remember when we're looking at these cars and we're hearing the you know the the talk the corporate talk coming down from executives saying well we want to be big and we want to be bold and we want to you know show off to this market and that market and we want to you know really make our brand stick out you don't have to just make everything gigantic to stand out you can just make a really pretty car so i think that's an important thing to note However, that being said, I do think everyone's exaggerating a little bit about how crazy these grills look, and I think everyone's prematurely uh, slamming the 4 Series, because I think overall it's going to be a good-looking car. I think it's going to be a really cool-looking car, and I think a lot of it's going to find a lot of customers. I think a lot of people are going to buy it, because people are going to see that the whole car is good-looking, and the, the brash grill, I think a lot of customers are actually going to like to be completely honest with you, and uh, the X7 is a good example of that. I thought the X7 was going to be a sales dud, and shows what I know because the X7 has been a sales smash success. To be honest, I live in like normal suburbia. Um, you know, it's, it's some parts of the town are wealthy, but most of it's just normal, you know, middle class, average, blue collar folks. And I see tons of X7s. They're everywhere. One, it's a great deal. You're getting so much luxury car for the price of a regular seven series, but like. I'm blown away at how many I see, and I'm blown away at how many are selling because it's not a good-looking car. I actually like the X7. I think it's a great-looking car, but it's not good-looking, so I'm surprised. So I think the 4 Series is going to do okay sales-wise simply because the, the big grills seem to work, actually, uh, with customers. The big grills seem to be a hit. But let's move on from the 4 Series so it doesn't sound like we're picking on it too much. I want to talk about another controversial car, and that is the E65 Generation 7 Series. So the E65 was the 7 Series that followed up after the E38 Generation car, and it was the famous bangle butt car. 
Um, it was Chris Bangle's first 7 Series design. And it was the one that kind of really, really embraced that flame-surfacing sort of design language he wanted. Now, Chris Bangle is a fantastic designer. He really is. He gets a ton of flack from, uh, you know, BMW enthusiasts and just car enthusiasts in general for a couple of BMWs like the E65 7 and the uh, E65 series. Those two cars get a lot of criticism and he takes the brunt of it and it's not really fair because he's a very very talented designer and he's very very intelligent and he understands design better he'll forget more about automotive design today than all of us will ever know combined like that's how brilliant of a designer he is and this e65 got tons of flack for its rear end design mostly and what's interesting, and that's what, where it got the Bangle butt name, because people didn't really like the, the ass end of the car, and Chris Bangle was the head designer, and he was the he was the face of BMW design at the moment, or at the time, so people really blamed him for the Bangle butt. Now, I'm not going to say who designed it, but I was at dinner one time with BMW executives, and they told me that he wasn't the one that designed that uh, aspect of the car. Now, he led the design team. He didn't design every aspect of the car. You know, he just led the design team. So other designers designed different aspects of the car, and someone else designed the bangle butt. And when it took, when it was getting just heaps and he, heaps of criticism, bangle did he took the blame. He did not, you know, throw anyone under the bus. He did not say a damn word about how it wasn't his design. It was designed by a team. And yada yada yada. He could have, you know, thrown anyone under the bus. He could have gotten out from under the criticism, but he didn't. He took it like a champ. He, he led his team, he was a good team leader, and he just, he completely took the blame, and I would say, it kind of, from what I understand, he got out of automotive design because of how, how toxic some of the fans were about his designs, or his team's designs. So I think there's a lot of unfair criticism thrown at Chris Bangle, and... You know, I think we should, admittedly, I don't like the E65 7 Series. I've gone on record saying I, I think it's ugly. I don't like the way it looks. But I'm not going to, you know, say he's a horrible designer. I'm not going to say awful things about him or his team because they, they took a big risk. They designed something very different, and it was a big leap. Um, it was a dramatic change over the E38 that it replaced. And, you know, they went for it. They they took a big shot. I don't think it worked, but, hey, they took a big shot, and they, they you know, Fell a little bit short, so that's okay. My beef with the E65 7 Series, and I think it's everyone's beef, is that it was horribly unreliable. I mean, like, really embarrassingly unreliable. And that's because of its ridiculous electronics. Now, at the time, back, it was designed in, like, the real late 90s, early 2000s, and it was the most high-tech car BMW had ever made by such a long way at the time. And it was probably the most high-tech car on the road, period, when it came out. You know, it was a genuine technological powerhouse. It was crazy. But it was so overly complicated that it just never worked properly. In that same conversation about the uh, E65 7 Series and Chris Bangle, BMW executives told me that even they knew that the E65, after it came out, that it was a just overly complicated technological mess. I mean, it was very impressive what it could do when it worked, but it's just a night, a reliability nightmare. And I did, we had to do the buyer's guide, uh, so I wrote that up uh, earlier in the week. Um, and to, to do that, I did some research, went on some forums, and, you know, as a good journalist does, went on forums and, and looked at what owners had to say 
and, you know, looked up used ones and saw how much they were and saw why they were being sold for so cheap and, you know, all, all sorts of stuff. So from what I can understand, very, 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 very few owners of the E65 7 Series, doesn't matter what engine, what configuration, doesn't matter, very few owners are happy with the experience because it seems to be a nightmare. Everyone says, engine runs great, transmission works fine, you know, suspension's great, but the electronics are so bad. There's always something wrong, a sensor bad, a module bad, something's bad, and it's bad enough where the car either won't run or won't run properly. Like, it's really crazy messed up stuff. So, it's just horror stories about electronic nightmares and gremlins that can't be fixed, and that's the real problem. It's not that things break, it's that it's so complicated, anyone outside of like a really, really good BMW tech can't figure it out, and those really good BMW techs that can figure it out are very expensive. They, you know, they charge a lot, and the cars, the parts are very expensive. So if you have one of these, yes, you can get them for very cheap now. They're very cheap used cars, but it's going to cost you probably double what you paid for it in repairs in the first year or so. It's, it's crazy how expensive it is to maintain because so many complicated electronic problems that are difficult to figure out. You know, it throws codes for weird crap, and then you, you can't figure out exactly what the code is for even after you look it up. And it's just, it's just such a headache. It isn't worth owning, and that's a shame because as a car, when it works, the E65 is really good. It handles surprisingly well for such a big car. It's quick. Its brakes are great. Its suspension is fantastic. It's comfortable. The interior is very comfortable and luxurious. It's a great car as a car, but as something to own, as something to deal with every day, it's pretty much terrible. <laughs> and that's that's rough to say. I kind of feel bad saying that, but it's the truth. You know, in looking, you know, in my research, looking at forums and looking at customers who actually own it and live with it, very, very, very few of them, I'd say like less than 20%, I'd say less, probably 10% of them are actually happy with the car that they own or have owned in the past. So many people, and many people bought one and then sold it within like a year because of how difficult it was to maintain. And that's pretty bad when that many things go wrong with it within just one year. However, BMWs after that and basically every other luxury car on the market owes a great deal of debt to the E65 and BMW in general because it created the first ever iDrive which was basically the grandfather of our modern infotainment systems and cars. So every BMW to follow had a better version of iDrive and now iDrive is the best on the market. It's just the best infotainment system in the world and it kind of makes sense because BMW sort of invented it. They sort of invented the infotainment system. So every car that you see that has a screen with a rotary dial or anything like that that controls everything right in the center pretty much owes BMW because BMW really brought that sort of technology to the market, to the mainstream market. So as much as the E65 is a massive pain in the ass, it's sort of, you know, created that, that the modern day infotainment system. Now, I will say the first generation of iDrive is terrible. It's a convoluted mess. Um, my parents actually own an E65 series, which uses a very similar iDrive system, and I hate using it. Every time I have to drive their car, I hate, hate, hate using it. It's just such a disaster. There are so many, there are way too many submenus. It takes, like, you know, a million twists and five different clicks just to get to the simplest of things, and it's so frustrating to use. However, you can kind of forgive it because it is the first attempt. It's the first attempt at such a thing. No one had ever really done that before. So BMW really invented it, and of course there's going to be growing pains. There's going to be a learning curve on how to develop it, how to create the UI, 
how to create, you know, you know, where things go, the menus, how you control it. There's so much that goes into it. You know, it, it's absolutely forgivable that the first version is a mess. It's absolutely forgivable. So while the first iDrive is pretty much a pain in the ass to use, it's, you know, it's okay because it was the first and it created what it started what we have now which is the new iDrive that's absolutely brilliant to use. It really is sensational. I drive a lot of luxury cars, and all of them have great infotainment systems now, but BMW's iDrive is still probably the easiest, the most intuitive. Um, it's, it has the best graphics, I think. Like the, the actual just graphics on the screen, like the fonts and everything are just so crisp and clear. The definition is, uh, you know, the resolution's fantastic. Everything about it is just top-notch, and I don't think any other company makes one that's as good as BMW's. Now, some get close. Um, Mercedes' new system is very good. Uh, Audi's new system is... It's interesting, the dual touchscreens and all that. It's pretty cool. and It, it works surprisingly well, but it's still all touchscreen. I don't really like that. I think BMW's iDrive is still the very best. So we sort of owe the E65 7 Series for that, despite how much of a pain in the ass it is. So don't buy a used one, but appreciate it for what it is and what it started. I also think that a lot of the E65's problems uh, stem from the fact that it replaced the E38, which was the best 7 Series ever made. It was the best when it came out. People said, wow, this is the best 7 Series ever made. And since then, no one has ever said, wow, this is as good as the E38 to any 7 Series. So it's literally, it's an incredible car, the E38. Firstly, it looks fantastic. You know, it's simple, it's clean, it's elegant, it's it looks premium and, and luxurious. It's just a beautiful car. James Bond drove one. The Pierce Brosnan James Bond drove one uh, remotely, actually. Yeah, he had uh, autonomous parking or autonomous driving before it was cool. He's the autonomous hipster driving it from the back seat. Take that, Tesla. So, uh, except he did crash it uh, off of a parking garage roof. So, maybe don't take that, Tesla. But anyway, um... Yeah, the E38 was a brilliant car. It looked fantastic. And more importantly, it was incredible to drive. It still is. Drive an E38 7 Series, and it's just wonderful. It's this beautiful blend of you know, luxury and sportiness. And it happened at a time when there wasn't different drive modes and a million different settings. It was just set up properly from the get-go. You just got in and you drove it. You know, BMW set it up right the first time. It didn't need 25 different modes to make it handle well. You didn't need you know, setting for the steering and the braking and the you know, transmission and the engine and the suspension and this and that. It just was set up the right way. And it worked perfectly. And it's, it was perfectly balanced. It's you know, it's balanced between comfort and luxury, yet, you know, BMW's classic sportiness was perfect. It was just a wonderful, wonderful car. And to be honest with you, the E38 is actually the car that really got me into loving BMW as a brand because of the movie The Transporter. Now, I know that's ridiculous, but The Transporter came out in 2002, the movie with Jason Statham, where he is, you know, a getaway driver, and he drives an E38 7 Series. Now, admittedly, in 2002, the E65 had come out, but the movie was obviously made prior to that. So the E38 was the newest 7 Series on the market. And Jason Statham's character drove it. And not only did he drive one, but he had one with a manual, which was really cool. And in the movie, he takes it and he whips it through the streets of France. And he goes on some crazy police chase through tiny, narrow streets. And he's, you know, he's you know downshifting and e-braking and sliding it around and going wild with it. And it's just, it's an awesome car chase that's absolutely ridiculous and totally impossible. But 
it was just awesome to watch. And in 2002, I was like 12. So I was a young, I was a young guy and seeing that I was like, wow, that's a really cool car. It's really cool to have like a big luxury car, but he's whipping it around the streets and he's driving like a madman, and it's awesome. And it's handling it all. And he's got crazy suspension. He takes care of it. And it's just, you know, he's got it all super clean. As soon as he gets back off his, you know, his getaway run, he cleans the blood out of it and he's washing it off and it's all perfect. It was just so cool. And it really caught my, you know, caught my imagination and really turned me into an enthusiast, a car enthusiast, and a BMW enthusiast. From then on, I was like, wow, BMWs are really cool cars. So it just shows that, one, a movie marketing works, but also that the E38, even as a big old luxury barge, which I guess the 7, 7 Series are, right? Because they compete with S-Classes and A8, so they're big luxury cars. But even a big luxury car like the E38 could capture the imagination and the attention of a child, basically. You know, that's impressive. Not many luxury cars can do that because they're designed to be luxurious for wealthy people. And, you know, they're designed to be stately and calm and reserved. And kids don't usually like that sort of thing. Kids want Lamborghinis and, you know, Ferraris and crazy stuff. But that E38, the silver E38, it was actually black. I'm sorry. It was black E38. Um, that captured my attention as a kid. And to do that, that's impressive. That's really impressive. So the E38 was a cool car, not just because it was great to drive, but it was just a fascinating car. It was a desirable car to everyone, you know, it, and it really made me fall in love with the BMW brand as a kid. And then from there, you know, it spiraled and I started to like, you know, more and more cars and more and more BMWs and stuff like that. So what an amazing car. And that's sort of a pro that I think is the E65's biggest problem that it had to follow up the best BMW had ever done uh, in terms of luxury cars. So it was pretty much an impossible act to follow. And then it had quite a few flaws, you know, of its own. You know, forget where its predecessor was. It had quite a few flaws. So when you, you take those flaws and you magnify them because of the shadow it's in, uh, you know, that that's why the, I think that's a big part of why the E65 was so heavily criticized. But that's all we have for you today. Um, I know it uh, was quite a controversial episode, talking a lot of negativity, to be honest, um, you know, but the 4 Series and the, the grills and the E65, a lot of negativity surrounding BMW, but I don't think it's all doom and gloom, folks. Uh, I don't think BMW has lost its way. I think BMW is going to be just fine. Um, and I actually think things are looking up for BMW. There's, there's, sure, there's still a few cars in the lineup right now that are a bit disappointing, but I think Overall, the brand is headed in the right direction. The new 3 Series is excellent. The new Z4, I it's my favorite car BMW makes right now, is the new Z4. It's a wonderful, wonderful little sports car. Um, the, the I've actually even like some of the SUVs, the X3, the X5, they're great. You know, the M2 competition is still a lot of fun to drive. You know, so I think things are looking up for BMW, and people need to stop being so, I don't know, doom and gloom about everything. You know, it's like the sky is falling because BMW makes a couple of cars that aren't the best thing ever. So I think uh, I think BMW is going to be just fine, and there's a lot of exciting stuff coming out. The i next or whatever it's called going to be called the iX5 or whatever. The i4 is going to be really interesting, uh, and the iX3. So you have some really cool electric cars and uh, you know electrified cars in the future. So I think the brand's future is bright, and we need to stop being so upset about everything and inflammatory about every mistake or everything that isn't absolutely perfect or amazing. Yes, do I think BMW can do some things better? Of course. But, uh, you know, it's not all controversial stuff. So that's it for this week. Um, thank you for listening. Uh, you know, hopefully we can get some more guests on in the future. 
because uh, we really enjoy that. We really like talking to people in the industry and kind of getting a you know someone else to talk <laughs> to talk to you guys about BMWs other than just us or just the car car industry in general, not just BMWs but other stuff like that. So yeah, we're gonna try to get some more guests, and I hope you guys ask more questions. You know, I, we had a good run for a couple of weeks. A lot of people asking questions, and that was really great. But it's slowed down. So I hope you guys ask more questions so I can answer them at the end of the, each episode. Um, but until then, yeah, thanks for listening, and stay tuned for next week.